Before we get into today's episode, we have a couple announcements. First, you might remember from previous episodes that Matt and I, along with our colleague Jess Garceau and the support of NPM, are launching a summer music ministry institute for youth and adults called One Call. The Summer Institute will take place June 26th through July 1st on the campus of St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. This is a unique, exciting opportunity to work with renowned faculty such as Tony Alonzo, Michael Jonkis, Diana McAlintel, Yvonne Diaz, Ray East, and many others. Applications open on January 15th and will be accepted until March 15th. Check out our website, www.onecallinstitute.org, for more information. And the second thing we'd like to share with all of you is that today's episode, featuring Rory Cooney, is actually one of three episodes that we are producing, all drawn from the same conversation we had back in December, when Zach and I were able to visit Chicago. So we'll have today's episode speaking about Canticle of the Turning. We'll have an episode with Gary Daigle about the song, You Have Anointed Me. And then a special joint episode with Gary and Rory about the song they collaborated on together, Covenant Him. So be sure to look for those episodes coming out in the next few weeks. And if you haven't seen the pictures from our trip to Chicago, where we were able to visit GIA Publications and WLP, World Library Publications, uh, please make sure you visit our Facebook page and check them out. Happy New Year, Open Your Hymnal listeners, and Happy New Year to you as well, Matt. Yeah, thanks. Happy New Year to you, Zach. Did you have a eventful evening on the 31st? You know, we did a lot of traveling uh, over Christmas to visit family, and by the time we got back, I was just so exhausted. I think I was in bed uh, by 11 o'clock. Sadly, I missed the whole Mariah Carey, I need my hot tea uh, debacle. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? What did what'd you guys do? Well, we had a lovely evening with some friends uh, who also have young children about the same ages as our kids. And so we scheduled a festive balloon drop promptly at 7.30 p.m. And everyone was in bed at 8.15. And it was magical. <laughs> It was everything I, yep. I hoped it would be and more. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how we do it here at Open Your Hymnal. Yep, you pretty wild and crazy, <laughs> as you would expect from a couple of 30-somethings who host a liturgical music podcast. <laughs> Ooh. To be fair, part of the reason why I wanted to call it an early night on New Year's Eve is because I had to get up early to do Mass for uh, on New Year's Day, uh, Feast of Mary, Mother of God. Um, and that kind of brings us to the song that we're going to be discussing today. We actually did it uh, at our Mass, um, Rory Cooney's uh, Canticle of the Turning. Yeah, I, I love this piece. Canticle of the Turning is one of my, my favorite Marian pieces to sing. And I am sure that there will be some people who have not really stopped to consider the fact that Canticle of the Turning at its core is a Marian hymn uh, with the text drawn from Mary's Prayer, the Magnificat. So please open your hymnal to Canticle of the Turning. My soul cries out with a joyful shout and the God of my heart is great. 
I'm Rory Cooney. I am the liturgy and music director at St. Anne Catholic Church in Barrington, where I've had that position since 1994, so about 23 years. So from east to west, shall my name be blessed, because the world be about to turn. Well, I, I, I wrote it specifically uh, for as an Advent song. Um, I mean, I came later across the way Dominic Crossan speaks about um, the infancy narratives. He uses the word overture to describe their relationship to the gospel. And, um, but, but even before he was using that word, I mean, obviously, scripture scholars were cl pretty clear that those stories are, you know, they're midrash or parables about Jesus, however you want to put it. But basically, like in the Lucan um, uh, infancy narratives, what you get is kind of a microcosm of what's going to come in the rest of the gospel. Um, or um, the way, and I love Crossan's word, although this wasn't part of my vocabulary then, that it's an overture, like in a musical, where you hear all the themes that you're going to hear later on. And certainly, I mean, the songs in, Lu in Luke's gospel and the ones especially in the, um, in the infancy narrative carry some of those themes in them, you know, um, the fact, first of all, that the the great, the Magnificat is actually sung by a woman. I mean, that's a big deal, uh, that it's about the tables of the world being overturned in favor of the little ones, uh, that it's all God's idea, and all, all she was doing was saying yes to a great idea that somebody else had. I mean, all of these things are foreshadowings of what's going to happen in the rest of the gospel. And so I think it was natural for me to take that, that uh, particular text as a for an Advent song in a Luke year, because all of that's going to come back. And then, you know, of course, what I'm thinking as a church musician is also it's not going to be an Advent song. I mean, I'll be able to use it in May or July or whatever, because it's going to keep carrying those themes through. I mean, another thing that was driving me was that I, I wanted to, you know, write a, a Marian piece that wasn't Marian, you know, that wasn't sort of out of the, my childhood Mary music was lovely lady dressed in blue kind of stuff, you know, um, or my favorite, an army of youth. I wish I could, army of youth, I'm going to just, I have to fast forward through the song to tell you what, heads lifted high, Catholic action, our cry, and the cross our only sword. Oh, comrades true, dare and do, neath the queen's white and blue. I mean, that, <laughs> we used to sing that as a kid. And then all of those great old kind of in Irish and Italian influenced songs about Mary. I mean, that's all a part of what I, but what I wanted to do was like, here I'm, you know, learning about the fact that Mary's, a, you know, this little Jewish girl in, you know, maybe a young mid-teenage years going through all this and, you know, um, and, and so I wanted to see in this, you know, it's in a, a country who's, you know, uh, has its Rome has its boot on its neck, and before it was Rome, it was the uh, you know the Hasmoneans. Before the Hasmoneans, it was the Greeks, and before the Greeks, it was the Persians and the Babylonians. I mean, it just everybody always has their foot on. And here she's singing about freedom, and I just thought I want the tune to be uh, sound like you know something you'd sing around the campfire and when nobody was when the bad guys weren't watching you know that kind of thing and
And so um, I think that, well, I'm sure, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure because, you know, my, I think that ever, all of our big experience in the, around that time, this would have been like in 19, maybe 88 or so, uh, maybe a little bit before that was Chieftain's album um, Irish Heartbeat, um, and they had a, like a, a setting of um, a setting. They had they did their version of uh, Star of the County Down on there, and I just thought to myself, you know, this obviously it's a love song, right? But it has the right feel of like a, kind of a subversive thing. So. I just got that song in my head, and you know, there's so many good things about it. I mean, when you when you look at the text, it has tons of in rhyme, and in rhyme does nothing except help you memorize. I mean, you would you because you you say you say the word, um, the God of my heart is great, and my spirit sings of the wondrous things. What's the next line? What rhymes with great? I mean, I know I'm just trying to say you go, oh yeah, yeah. It's you know that you for the ones who wait, right? So it's all of those rhymes do nothing except help you memorize the lyric which is like what do you want people to do is you want them to like to sing it and you want them to be able to remember it that's that's really the deal and um so that's just where i went with it i didn't try to you know improve on the text all i did was try to take the song that was there take the magnificat and um go from one to the other and then i expanded that um you know uh my heart um I know my part, but in, in the in the original Magnificat text, you know, um, my heart rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, kind of expanded that a little bit into the into the refrain, and then the idea of the world about to turn again. You know, I'm you're thinking about the revolution idea. In the you know, the word revolution has to do with turning, but also so does the word conversion. And so I'm again, I'm looking through the same lens. You know, the the kind of the RCIA lens, the the kingdom lands all that into the same thing and you know honest to god i mean that song uh, came out on safety harbor so that was uh 28 years ago and right yeah yeah 28 years ago right and what's so great is like the the reception really it's it was kind of like not that nobody noticed it but i mean the reception like in the last 10 years has been so like it's it's like um, you know, sort of like you feel like everybody thinks of it as a, like you think of it as an overnight sensation when actually it all took place so long ago to me. But then you know, like rec more recently, as a Catholic songwriter from nowhere, right? To just imagine that you know, Luther groups of Lutherans or in groups of Mennonites would be singing a song that I wrote about the words of the Blessed Mother as a Catholic, that is something that never would have occurred to me. And yet, you know, I'm just so, I'm just so amazed by it and, and grateful. And I wonder, you know, how did, that, how did that happen? You just have no idea whatever is going to work. And, and so if all I was doing was writing a song for my parish for Advent that I hoped I'd be able to use the rest of the year. My heart shall sing of the day you bring with the So at this point, having heard what Rory shared with us about the genesis of the song, um, I would encourage our listeners, if they haven't yet, to visit Rory's blog. Uh, RoryCooney.blogspot.com is where you can find Gentle Rain, his series of posts, and it's really wonderful, wonderful um, uh, 
postings and reflections that he has, and we'll link to that on our website. But he has a, a, a posting, an article about the story of this song. And I thought it was interesting that in it, he writes that while I was encouraged and grateful by its reception, the song Canticle of the Turning, early in the days after I had written it, I still felt some hesitation and self-doubt for using a completely secular melody with as beloved and sacred text as the Magnificat. And I thought that was an interesting thing for him to say, because from my perspective, I see all sorts of secular melodies, especially Irish melodies, um, throughout our hymnals. It's true. I mean, I think it speaks to the singability of these tunes, uh, particularly uh, the ones that come from an Irish tradition. I don't know um, what it is about uh, these melodies, but there's something that's just um, innately singable, uh, something that is inviting and something that I think is um, predictable in the best of ways about these melodies that really um, make them uh, perfect for congregational singing. Absolutely, and when we when we think about the the sacred hymn tunes or the sacred melodies that that come from Ireland or are Irish inspired, there are plenty. But when you look specifically at the secular songs, like Wild Mountain Time, which is the tune for David Haas's setting of the Magnificat, "Holy Is Your Name." Or when you look at the the melody Marie's Wedding, again another David Haas piece, Onward to the Kingdom, um, you know there isn't a shortage of secular pieces that have been appropriated for hymnal usage. Yeah, and in in addition to that, um, you think of the tune uh, The Flight of the Earls, which is uh, set to the text of I Sing a Maid. Um, of course, Londonderry Air has been uh, repurposed with sacred texts um, in a variety of ways. Um, although not a secular tune or an Irish folk song, even, you know, we think of the Celtic Alleluia and um, just how popular that has become. Uh, St. Columba, uh, Sally Gardens, uh, the list goes on. And so, I mean, it definitely speaks to something about uh, the way that these Irish melodies are constructed, that they have been uh, mined so deeply for material for congregational singing. And holy is your name through all generations everlasting I think it, it raises an interesting point like um, you know not being Irish myself and not really growing up knowing these tunes set to any other text but their sacred texts um, I wonder how that hits the ears of, you know, people who have known these as secular tunes. Like, because I'm trying to think of, like, what the appropriate analogy for us Americans would be. And I'm, you know, I don't know if this is accurate, but, like, I know it would strike me weird if I heard, like, a setting of the Beatitudes set to, like, a Stephen Foster melody. <laughs> or, you know, like, the Magnificat to, like, Home on the Range. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, what our our song analogies would be to that. And I, um, you know, I, somehow it still, it still works uh, for the singability of, of these songs. But, uh, you know, I would just be interested to know, um, you know, how Irish people feel about this. 
Yeah, and, and I don't know what, what any more apt analogy would be other than the ones that you provided, but I can tell you, studying abroad in Europe and being in a pub in Galway, listening to an Irish band start playing Star of the County Down at a table with a bunch of Catholic college kids starting to sing Canticle of the Turning was a, a clash of cultures, to be sure. Young Rosie McCann from the banks of the Banshee, the star of the county down. Zach and I decided that we should get answers to these questions, so we called up our Irish friend Ian Callanan, a composer in his own right, and had a conversation with him about Irish folk melody and their use in liturgical music. Here's that conversation. Yeah, well, I suppose it has a very mixed reaction. Um, I Personally, I like doing that. I like taking tunes that are well-known and setting or uh, putting new text to it. Um, and the star of the county down, I suppose, is particularly um, or has has gained very interesting reactions when I've used it here, uh, from people who love it to people who hate it. So it's uh, it's a very mixed response to to taking um, a well-known tune and and putting a new text to it. I suppose one of the dangers that you have. And I don't think this applies with the star of the county down, but one of the dangers you have when you take a traditional tune is that the, the, the original lyrics that might have gone with us might have um, been giving one particular uh, you know, message. Um, and then when you put a new text to it, uh, people's imagination or I suppose their memory is still in the original text. Uh, and I suppose that that's why it spurs um, a very varied response. And then this got us to thinking too, and people wondering about what it is about Irish melody that is so instantly singable and accessible. I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Well, I think one of the reasons uh, that Irish melodies are so singable is that um, in, in the tradition, they would have been sung unaccompanied. So there would have been Shanos-style uh, singing, as it's called. Um, and I think that way, a melody has to be strong enough to stand on its own. It's not reliant on uh, an accompaniment. Uh, so I think you've got very well-crafted melodies um, that, that are there traditionally as a result of that. And repetition is, is, is another key element in, in those melodies. You, you'll find that there's a lot of repetitions of musical phrases that go on through it. Again, keeping it um, simple, as I suppose, is the, the main thing that, 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 that's happening in the music. And that's why I think they have lived on for so long and why they're picked up so easily by people. Ireland is known internationally or worldwide for its music. Um, we are a very musical people, and it's, it's funny that for such a musical country, when it comes to singing at our liturgies, we are particularly poor, especially in the Catholic Church, maybe not so much in the Church of Ireland. Um, and it's, it's, it's very strange, because if you go down to uh, a local pub or if you're at uh, a get-together um, and a sing-song starts, everybody sings along. Um, and, yeah, you go, you go into liturgy and, or into our churches and very, very few people will sing along. Why do you think that is? I, I have a few theories on it. Uh, one of them, I think, would have been 
when you when it was I suppose when we were under British rule and uh, you weren't allowed to be a Catholic, you weren't allowed to celebrate. Uh, what people used to do is we, we they used to go out to uh, fields and they would have mass rocks or hedge masses, and I suppose mass happened in in an underground way. And the last thing you want is a whole group of people uh, proclaiming music or singing out loud and dragging attention to themselves. So mass became a very quiet, fast affair. Um, and then I suppose we also had the famine in the country, um, the Great Famine, and I think people didn't feel like they had much to be singing about when there were people dying all around them. So I think it's a kind of a... a you know, th those two elements, on top of that then with the, I suppose, the mass being in Latin and, and people not being educated so they didn't know what was being sung or what was being said. Um, so they, they kind of just stayed quiet and let the choirs sing or let the, uh, and let the servers answer the prayers and people, um, I suppose that tradition has continued on, which is, uh, which is very hard to break. Um, and it's a pity because, you know, as, as a very musical nation, we should be uh, full of song. But we're, um, sadly, we're not when it comes to, to our, our churches. I want to return once more to Rory's post about this song on his blog. This is um, the Song Stories post from back in August of 2014. And at the end of the article, he writes, It was a bit of a revelation to me to see the number of covers of this song that appear on iTunes. And this is something that we haven't really discussed about on the podcast yet. I know you and I have talked about it personally, Zach, um, but not on the podcast. And that is that so many of these liturgical songs or songs from the hymnal, uh, as they get to be known and ubiquitous, do get covered in pretty varied and interesting ways by people out in the world and posted on iTunes and YouTube and all over the place. Yeah, I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, these songs move people. They want to put their personal mark on these songs. And there's, um, you know, a lot to be expressed through them. And uh, for better or worse, um, you know, once you release a song, um, you know, people are going to, you know, put their own kind of stamp on it and you don't always know what you're going to get. Yeah, sometimes they certainly hit more of the mark than others. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, some of my favorites that we've discovered, uh, like the quasi-spoken word, new age, hip-hop version of Marty Haugen's All Are Welcome, which <laughs> I encourage people to search for because it is yeah, it is yeah. beyond. Yeah, uh, you got to find and, it. And, and even, even examples of Canticle of the Turning, which is an Irish melody, uh, there are examples that sound a little bit more reggae to me. Which, uh, which is an interesting, interesting flavor. So um, we thought to uh, celebrate the importance, cultural importance of Canticle of the Turning, we'd do a quick little mashup of Canticle of the Turning covers from iTunes. So if you'd like to listen to this mashup, you can find it on our Facebook page. Just search for Open Your Hymnal. Uh, while you're there, make sure you give a thumbs up like to our page. Because you did not
So when I think about what really impresses me about this text, I think of two things. The first of which, it's difficult enough to paraphrase uh, the Magnificat, but to do so and to also adhere to the rhyme scheme set forth by Star of the County Down is a feat beyond feats. And I just want to give kudos to to Rory for doing this. I think it's it's just a, it's a virtuosic display of lyricism and wordsmithing um, and yet somehow he remains true to the character and to the spirit of the Magnificat and also uh, provides some some probing insight into the meaning of those words um, secondly I this is my favorite setting of the Magnificat because um, in addition to you know all the revolutionary things that Mary says uh, this text paired with this tune and uh, the driving energy that accompanies it really gives Mary agency. Um, you think about some of those really old, um, you know, Marian hymns and songs. Great prayers about Mary, but I think when we really look at the example that Mary provides as a disciple and uh, the way that she engages in what she is called to do, um, I think uh, it's the text and um, the setting that we find in Canticle of the Turning that really makes that come alive. Yeah, and it's not unlike when we spoke with Carrie Landry for our episode on Hail Mary, Gentlewoman, that that piece, you know, at that time in the 1970s, really emphasized the personhood and humanity of Mary as opposed to a distant queenship. That now Rory's piece is really moving from, you know, that distant queenship, simply that humanity, personhood of Mary, to now this active agent. Uh, And it's really interesting to see that just in terms of our understanding of Mary and the way we think of Mary spiritually. Again, uh, to me, it's, it's kind of summed up in this, in this phrase that actually comes from St. Augustine, but that Desmond Tutu used to use all the time, which is that um, without God, we cannot. And without us, God will not. And I think that's what the Magnificat is. You know, in other words, it's Mary saying, this is all your idea. You know, all I'm doing, you know, all I did was say yes, but look how great you are. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, look what you did in the past. I have every reason to believe that things are going to be just as good in the future, even though right now, you know, my life is really a pile of dung. And that's really what that's all about. It's, It's about having faith and hope um, in, in God who is great and who has a good idea and who's with us on the dung heap and is going to take us somewhere else. I mean, I think that's the thing that the Magnificat has. That's really what the whole idea of the kingdom of God is and the church, it, the whole thing, is all, that's all about there and it's all in the Magnificat, one little song in, the, in a... Uh, the overture to Luke's gospel. And, but I mean, that's why I think people catch on to it because it's like this little, it's not the, the song so much as the Magnificat that has that, all those, that visionary stuff in it. For me, before I wrote Magnificat, the one that my go-to version of the Magnificat, definitely use the Damien's one, I love that. 
was the um, Hybers um, one that Mike Jonka set called, it's called Mary's Song with that refrain, happy are they who believe the promise of the Lord will be fulfilled. Again, you know, great Advent, uh, like looking at the whole Magnificat through the Advent lens, you know. But I think that, uh, but again, it's very lyrical the way it's said. And I just feel like, you know, the thing about the tune, um, the star of the county down tune is it sort of takes you to Let's get up and kind of dance around the fire. That's I think, okay, so here's the thing for me. The thing that I have kind of this inner rebellion against, and so consequently there's going to be mistakes, is the idea that faith is about the future. Um, the, even the, I, the suggestion that scripture is about the future, that it's, you know, put up now and it'll be okay later. That was never what Jesus preached and it's certainly not the, what the early church believed, otherwise we wouldn't have all these martyrs, and including Jesus. I mean, not that he was a martyr, I mean, I don't want to say that, but the, but the idea that what they were preaching about and trying to live was about changing this world the whole idea, the Jewish idea of the apocalypse in the book of Daniel and so forth, that's not about God making justice for, for Jews in a different world. It's about God through the, a son of man, which is to say someone who looks like one of us, someone like one of us, in other words, us, God through a son of man transforming this world so that the young men and women who were slaughtered or, or raped or carried off into slavery in the prime of their lives would actually have a life in this world in another time. I mean, so, um, so I think that to me, I guess I feel like I, that I and, uh, and a lot of, not just I, but a lot of people are trying to fight uh, it, this idea peacefully that... Um, that faith is about things that are just in the future. I, I, have, I like the idea of faith in the future. I, I believe in all that. It's just that it's not the point. The point is, how do we fix this mess? Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. And I think that's where I try to go with my lyrics. And now, here's a recording of Canticle of the Turning in its entirety. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight and your servant's plight, and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my name be blessed when the world be about to turn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. Though I am small, my God, my all, you worked great things in me. And your mercy will last from the depths of the past to the end of the age to be. Show your 
Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. Canticle of the Turning is published by GIA Publications. The recording you heard was released by GIA Publications on the album Safety Harbor. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Rory Cooney for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by GIA Publications, Natalie Spear, and by Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer... Gary Daigle and his song, You Have Anointed Me. Your spirit, oh God, is upon me. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. Thanks for listening.